Anyways, before we get to John chapter 14, uh, how many of you in life have been in need of or needed the assistance of someone else at some point in time? You've ran out of gas and you need to call someone else because you need to fill up the gas tank and you need someone to help you out. Uh, An emergency comes and you need someone to quickly watch the kids to call someone so you have that person on speed dial that you know you can ring up and they'll be over in a heartbeat to watch our kids. You're in the middle of preparing a meal and you find out that you need that one ingredient or else the meal is going to be incomplete. Who's that neighbor or who's that friend that you can call up and hit them up? Just yesterday, we were in need of lawn chairs. My grandfather and dad were coming to watch Bryce play t-ball, and I was like, we don't have any chairs to sit on. So I was like, all right, Becky, do you have any chairs? Um, And she was able to let us into her garage and get a couple chairs. And just life is that way where we need the help of others sometimes. We have to call on others. We're dependent upon others. And as much as we might not like it, we need people to be there for us. But how many of you know that beyond just physical help, uh, we also need some spiritual help? that there's sins that we wrestle with and struggle with, there's things that we fight. We have moments of anxiety and fear and worry and depression that we have to battle through. And we need more than just the help of others, we need some spiritual help. We need help on a deeper level. We need something to help guide us, direct us, and lead us because left to ourselves, we can be a wreck and a mess. How many of us know that actually the Bible says that God has actually sent us a helper? Just like other people have physically helped us and being able to bless us, God has given us a spiritual helper in that sense. And so that's what we're going to look at today, and that's what we're going to read in John chapter 14 is about the helper, and who is this helper, and what does that look like in our lives. A little background, Jesus is preparing to go to the cross in John chapter 14. He knows what lies ahead of him. He knows that he has to take the sins of humanity upon himself, and he has to die on the cross. And so the disciples who have spent every day for the last three years with him, sharing meals, watching him do ministry, hearing all of his teachings, watching how he loves others and he rebukes these and how he just serves. And for three years, they spent every day with him, watching him, learning from him. And by all means, he was their leader. They moved at his discretion. They followed him. Whenever they had questions or doubts or things arose, they turned to him and asked him, Father, what does this mean? Master, teacher, teach us. He was the one that they counted on. He was their rock. And now he's about to depart from them. And luckily for them, Jesus just isn't like, well, I'm going to the cross, see you later, figure it out, all right? Jesus actually gives them some words and he's preparing them for what is about to come. And that's what we're about to read in John chapter 14 and John chapter 16. Starting in verse 15, if you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor. Some verses use another helper to be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and will be with you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Then again, we hear more about the helper in two, two chapters later in John 16, um, verse 7 through 10. But I tell you the truth. It is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. And then skipping down to verse 13 to 15, it says, But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. 
He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from me what is mine and make it known to you. And then one more, just skipping back to verse 14 and 26. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. And so Jesus is telling his disciples that I am going to send you another counselor. I'm going to send you a helper. Some verses say comforter. Another verse says advocate. I am going to send you another advocate. If we remember what we talked about last week is that Jesus was our first advocate. That we stood guilty in our sins and condemned in our sins and walked in our darkness and brokenness and we needed an advocate. If the judge was in the room, he was about to slam the gavel down and say guilty, condemned to death. But Jesus was our advocate. He stepped in our place. He took our punishment and took our place, and he was our first advocate. And Jesus is saying, just as I advocated for you, when I go, I am going to send you another advocate. And that advocate is the Holy Spirit. And a lot of us hear that, and that can make us nervous. And It's like, what is the Holy Spirit? I once had a Christian tell me, I can do with God the Father, and I can understand Jesus, his son, but just please leave out the Holy Spirit. Um, Because some of it, we're just out. Some of it we don't understand. Some of it we hear someone say, well, God told me to, you know, move to the mountains and live in the desert and eat berries and grass and seclude yourself from everyone else. And you're like, "Mm, that doesn't sound like God. And so we get weird with the Holy Spirit. But this morning I want to sure up some things about who the Holy Spirit is and why he is here. Because the truth is, we are told to baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and the We're told to go make disciples in the name of the Father, Son, and the We are told to be filled with the We are told to be led by the Spirit of God. Those that are the sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. And so if the Holy Spirit is part of God and is part of his plan for my life, then I want to know, understand, and I want him in my life. If I am to be filled with him, and that's what my life is to look like, I need to know who the Holy Spirit is, what he does, and what he is like. Because if not, I am missing out on part of what God has for me. And in fact, I can't even do the things that God wants me to do without the Holy Spirit. So if you want to be a Christian, guess what? You need to have the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit. And so the first thing, let's sure up something. The Holy Spirit is not an impersonal impersonal force. It's not a mysterious thing. It is not an it. He's real. He is a person. He is part of the Godhead, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which means he is equal to the Father and Son, that he does things in unity with the Father and Son. He is omniscient like the Father and Son are omniscient. We can, how many of us know that we can grieve the Holy Spirit, which means the Holy Spirit has feelings. If the Holy Spirit is leading us and directing us and guiding us, that means that he can speak to us and direct us. So the truth is, we need to come to understand who this Holy Spirit is and what role does God want him to play in my life and why do I need him? And here's the truth. If the disciples who spent three years listening to Jesus, three years watching his miracles, three years hearing his teachings, three years seeing him serve, and Jesus tells him them that they're gonna need a helper, I think I need a helper too. <laughs> Because I haven't seen the things that the disciples have seen. I didn't hear them firsthand like Jesus did. And so I am going to need a helper to help me walk and to fill the call and the purpose of my life. 
So let's look at who the Holy Spirit is and what he does. Going back to verse 14, it says this, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives in you. In verse 16, we we read that the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth will bear witness and glorify Jesus. And so that the first thing that the Holy Spirit does in anyone's life is this, is that he points and leads and guides and directs and magnifies the works of Jesus. Is that we once walked in darkness, we once were walking away from God and left to ourselves and our own devices, that's the direction we would have continued to head. But it says that the Father draws all men to himself. You know how he draws all men to himself? The Holy Spirit. Is that without the Holy Spirit, I would not even see God or I wouldn't even see the truth and because the Holy Spirit is leading me to truth. Just earlier in the chapter, in John chapter 14, the disciples are asking him some questions and so what is the truth? Jesus responds and says, what is the way to Thomas? And Jesus responds, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so the first thing that the Holy Spirit does is he reveals the truth to me and he shows me my need for a savior. He shows me my brokenness and my sin and he says that he convicts the world of its sin that he's convicting me of my sin. Why? So that I will turn and see the truth and the beauty of Jesus. And without the Holy Spirit, we cannot see that or we cannot accept that. So we need the Holy Spirit to reveal the truth of who Jesus is. Now for some of us, that might make us uncomfortable because conviction, we think of conviction in a bad thing. We think of a convict or being convicted of a crime. But in the biblical sense, conviction is good. I once had a friend say to me, you know, like, I love it when the Lord convicts me. Well, that sounds weird. I don't like to be convicted, you know. Um, but what he meant is this. Is conviction always does two things. Imagine driving down a one-way street, and you're driving the wrong direction, and you're headed in the wrong direction, and you don't even know it, but you're heading on to traffic coming on to you because you're going down the wrong way of a one-way. Anyone ever been down the wrong way of a one-way? Been there, all right? And so you're headed down that direction. Conviction looks like this. Conviction looks like someone stopping on this, you know, a neighbor stopping saying, hey, 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 hey. You're headed the wrong direction. You need to go up here, make a right, turn around so that you can get back on the right road so you're not heading into danger. So conviction will always tell you what is wrong. It will always convict you of what is wrong, but it will always do two things. It will lead you to what is right and it'll, tell, it'll give you something better and it'll give you the way out and it'll always provide you the grace and the mercy and the freedom to get there. So you, you want to tell a lie. The flesh wants to tell a lie and the spirit will convict you and say, you know what, I have a better way. It's called the truth. I'm leading you to the truth and I'm setting you free from doing this. I just had a disagreement with my wife and I spoke something that I shouldn't have spoken. I spoke out of anger. The Holy Spirit will convict and say, you know what, that is wrong. You need to go back and reconcile with your wife. It'll lead you to something better. It'll lead you into righteousness. It'll guide you to the truth. Condemnation will leave you down that one-way road and say, you know what, you might as well keep going that direction because you'll never be able to go another direction and you might as well just head on to it because that's all you ever will be and that's all you're ever going to do is head in the wrong direction. It'll leave you standing there condemned and still shackled and broken to the thing. But conviction will always set you free and set you on a path of righteousness. And so we can thank God for his conviction. We thank you, I thank him that he convicted me of my sin because then I was able to see the truth of Jesus and what he did on the cross for me. I tell the example of one other example. I was helping out a youth group about seven or eight years ago in Pennsylvania at a church that I worked with, and one of the kids, we were at an amusement park, Del Grosso's amusement park, and we were riding that ride that takes you up and then just drops you down really fast. And one of the kids' glasses fell off and they shattered um, during the ride. 
He wasn't one of those kids that could manage well without his glasses. So I had to stand beside him and, you know, help him walk because he couldn't see, you know, what was in front of him. Well, he needed to go to the bathroom, and so I'm sitting on a bench, and he starts walking off towards the bathroom, and I notice that Scotty, was his name, starts heading towards the women's bathroom. Now, you know how those things race through your mind very fast. It's like, I can do one of two things. I can yell out, hey, Scotty, go the other way, or I could watch this play out and see what happens. It would be for a good story. So for as any good youth pastor, I let it play out. <laughs> I watched Scotty walk. Luckily, a woman caught him coming out the door. Scotty realized up front, like, that was a woman. And he walks back to the men's bathroom, meanwhile, staring at me as I'm laughing at him, sitting on the bench. Um, but conviction looks a lot like that. Conviction has us heading in the wrong direction, has us headed to the wrong place. And it's someone that says, you know what, stop. You belong over here. And there's something better and there's something higher and there is more for you over here. That is what the conviction of the Holy Spirit looks like. So the first thing that the Holy Spirit does is that he reveals the truth of Jesus and he magnifies Jesus and he shows me who Jesus is. And then the second thing is this, is that he then comes to dwell in me and to live in me and to make me new, to transform me so that I could be born again. Remember, Nicodemus is asking Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He says, we must be born of water and of the Spirit, that you must be born again, that the Holy Spirit then lives in me and dwells in me to transform me and to make me into the image of Christ. That's Christian lingo, and it's hard to understand what does born again, what does that really mean, and what does the Spirit living in me um, look like? So the best way that I can illustrate it is this. Melanie, if you could join me. All right. She has the nice handwriting. Write nice and big on about half the thing. Um, Just write my name, okay? Write my name. All right? This is what life looks like um, in the flesh and without the Spirit of God. Uh, what color is that, Sean Renee? Black. All right, Mel, change the grip on your pen. You know, fancy up it up. Dress up your life. You know, do something good. Make it, make it different. I don't know. Hold the pen different. Do it. Write my name. I don't care. Right there. Yeah. What's that? Oh, it's fancier, Sean Renee. What color is it? Black. You know what? Just scribble here at the top. Maybe, you know, write it real sloppy. Write it real messy. Got my name, sure. Yeah. Sean Renee, what color is it? Still black. So what the Spirit of God does, imagine that um, the Spirit of God, when we reveal and we see the truth of Jesus, is like changing the ink in this. I can't physically do it, but it's like this. That no longer... Before Jesus, all that I was able to produce, all that I was able to do, no matter how much I tried to dress it up or make it look fancy or, you know, make it appear nice, that I was filled with darkness and brokenness and I could only produce this. But when the Spirit of God comes and when he comes to live and dwell within us, then guess what? He starts to change the things of our life. So write my name now. Sean Renee, what color? New color, blue. All right, you can sit. Thank you. (laughs) <laughs> so what being born again means is this does that mean that something else is living in me dwelling in me and producing something different in my life that it starts to transform me and shape me and make me like Jesus Christ and so the second thing that the Holy Spirit does is he convicts us of the truth and then he comes to live and dwell within us and if we find that weird or we find that odd it's not out of the normal for God where did God live and dwell in the Old Testament in the tabernacle, right? In the Holy of Holies. And how did he lead the people of Israel in the desert? By the cloud and fire at night, right? 
And in the same way in the Old Testament where the Holy Spirit dwelt there and led the people by that, now it says this in 1 Corinthians, now we are the temples of the Holy Spirit. It says, I actually bought you with a price. You are not your own. You do not belong to yourself. You house the Holy Spirit. You house the presence of God. And your body is now a temple of his Holy Spirit. And in the same way that he led them by the cloud and by the fire, now the Holy Spirit is within you, leading you and guiding you and directing you into the things that God has for you and into the plans that God has for you. John 15 says, if you love me, you will obey what I command. And I'm not going to go back on what I spoke two weeks ago, but um, on man-made traditions and man-made laws, but how many of us know that God still has his commands to love and to serve one another, to do not lie, to do not steal, to do not cheat, and saying that we need the Holy Spirit in order to walk out his commands. He's telling the disciples this. He tells them in John 16, he says, you know, um, it's actually better for you that I go. It's better that I do not dwell with you. It's better that I go do what I have to do because the one that I am sending you is the one that you are to live with and to dwell with so that he can remind you of everything that I taught you. So he convicts us of our sins and then he comes to live and dwell in us. And then the third thing that he does is that he then gives us the power to walk and have dominion over the flesh. Romans um, 8 says that the mind of the flesh is death. Galatians 5, you don't need to turn there, I'm going to read it to you, says this, starting in verse 19, or first, sorry, starting in verse 18, but if you were led by the Spirit, you were not out under the law. The acts of the sinful nature, or the acts of the flesh, are sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and the like. I warn you as I did before that the, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And without the spirit of God, that all we are left with is to walk in the flesh. And we walk this direction, and we walk that direction, and we walk this direction. And how many of us know that when we walk in the flesh, we can end up a mess? And when we walk in our own power and our own ability and out of our own selfish ambition and our own sin, that all we can produce is the acts and the deeds of the flesh. But now that the Spirit has come, the same Spirit that rose Christ from the dead, that same Spirit is said to live in you and that he gave Christ the power to raise from the dead and to be raised back to life again has now come to live and dwell in you to give you the power over your sin, over your addiction, over your bondage, over your fear, over your worry, over your anxiety and you now have power because the Spirit is living and dwelling in you. And so now the Spirit is doing this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things, there is no such law. And so the deeds of the flesh are that, but the, deeds, the fruit of the Spirit is joy, love, peace, patience, guidance, goodness, self-control. Is that the fruit of the Spirit is God is trying to produce the fruit of the Spirit in you. The Holy Spirit is trying to give you more joy, more peace, more love, and he's trying to lead you to those things and direct you to those things. And if you want to know what, if you have the Spirit and what the Spirit of life looks like is what happens when your life is pierced? Life, what happens when, you, you know, someone stabs you in the back with words or someone does something wrong against you or there's something broken that happens in your life and your life is pierced? Does it ooze and flow the fruit of the Spirit? Is what I respond with, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, self-control, or is it a little bit more sour, 
bitter and not pleasant to the taste. Do you ever want to know? Um, just look what happens and look how you respond when life pierces you and life gets you and you cut open, you know, because when you cut open a strawberry, you have the tastiness and the juice and the red and, you know, if you ever, Mel gets real mad at me because I don't ever use a cutting board to cut strawberries and I cut them on the counter and I have a mess there and the stain of my counter. Um, I'm admitting my sins. That's conviction, okay? Um, because when you pierce the strawberry, the juices flow and that's the same thing that God is trying to produce in our life is we'll face hardships, we'll face trials, but I'm try- he's trying to, when our lives are pierced, that we produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit. If we need an example of what it's like to walk in the flesh and why we need the Spirit, let us look no farther than the same disciples that Jesus was talking to. Is that before the Helper came and before the Holy Spirit came, these disciples, when Jesus was going to the cross, what did they do? They fled. They boogied. They were afraid. They were scared. They were operating and living and walking in the flesh. Peter denied Jesus three times pretended that he didn't even know him. But then when the Spirit of God comes, and the Spirit of God comes to live and dwell within them, they start changing the world. They're not afraid of persecution. In fact, 10 of them went to their death sharing Jesus. Why? Because they were emboldened and they were empowered. And they didn't have a spirit of fear or timidity, but they had the power of love and a sound mind, and power love and a sound mind. And that's the same thing that we need. We need the Spirit's power to help us walk out and to fulfill the things that he has called us to do because without it we're like the disciples when the when the moment comes and in the flesh see ya you know how many of us driving down maybe we we've been in these moments where you're driving down 95 and you see someone pulled over and they look to be struggling with you know their tire or something like that and you have that little nudge inside of you and that little thing that says you know what you should pull over um, and see if they need a hand or to help them the flesh says, ah, I don't got the time. You know, they'll be all right. Uh, it'll be awkward. I don't know what to say. Are we going to follow the direction and leading? Because that's the Holy Spirit guiding you to them, trying to produce love in you and service in you. Or you're at work and that person's been struggling and, you know, you feel that unction. is like, you know what? I should offer to pray with them or I should share this scripture with them. Oh, no, God. The flesh says, no, yeah, they'll reject me. They're not going to understand. You know, they'll think I'm crazy. You know, they won't get it. And I'm going to actually do more hindrance. Or are we going to follow the Holy Spirit of God and share his love and his truth with those around us where he guides us and is directing us and leading us? Because those that are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. But how many of us know, um, if we look back at verse 18 in John chapter um, 14, it says this, I will not leave you As orphans, I will come to you. Um, There's far too many real orphanages in this world, too many people without a family, without parents, um, that are looking for love, that are scratching and just clawing at a place of acceptance and to find a home. But the truth is, is that some of us in our lives can often be spiritual orphans, that we're walking around wondering, seeking love, who's going to take us in, Um, where do I belong? and feeling abandoned, fatherless, hopeless, and broken. But Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And what's his promise and what's his assurance? I'm sending you the helper, and I'm sending you the Holy Spirit, and I'm sending you your advocate, and I'm sending you your counselor who's going to walk beside you, who's going to stand beside you, and this is your assurance that I am with you always. If you don't believe me, Ephesians 1.14, let's go there. 
Uh, all the pages that I marked, there it is. Ephesians 1.14 says this, starting in 13. And you were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him. Come on, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. The Holy Spirit is a down payment in you. It's the assurance that you will live in eternity and dwell with him, and it's your assurance that he is with you through all seasons and situations of your life, living and dwelling with you and among you. He's not blind to your situations. He's not adverse to it. He is dwelling with you, and he's alongside you to be your helper, to be your advocate, to help guide you and lead you through those moments of life. And it's not a thing where in the Old Testament, David says, you know, Lord, cast not your spirit from me. And where the spirit of the Lord had departed, Saul and left. No, this is the assurance that it is permanent. That the Holy Spirit, you don't have, if you have accepted Christ and you have placed your faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit is living and dwelling within you. You don't got to find him. You don't got to look for him. He is living and dwelling in you and within you. And that's your assurance until the day of Christ's return. But how many of us know that um, life has its challenges? It's moments where we're alone. It's too hard. Parenting challenge, jobs, difficult, marriage, unsteady, finances, out of order, and we think that our issues are just too much. But I want to give you some truths of what the Holy Spirit has given you for those seasons of life and how God is walking with you. And the first thing that I want to um, share with you that the Holy Spirit has given you is that he's given you this book how many of you know that in 2 Timothy 3.16, it says that the, all Scripture is God-breathed? That means that the Holy Spirit actually authored this book through the agents of men, but the Holy Spirit is the author of this book. So how many of you know that when you're facing discouragement or you're facing problems, that the Holy Spirit will often guide you and direct you back to the book that he wrote for you to tell you and remind you of the beauty of Christ and the beauty and the glory of him? So the Holy Spirit is not, we sometimes think like, well, I need something else or I need something more and we start to look outside. Guess what? The Holy Spirit authored this book. He's not gonna just waste it. He authored it to use it for you in your life to edify you, to encourage you, to uplift you, to build you up, to correct you when you're wrong. So the first thing that the Holy Spirit has given you is his word. Read it, trust it. And it's a very safe thing to know of um, when you know that you have heard from the Lord because guess what? you'll find it backed up and, and evidenced and supported in here. You know? Well, I feel like God has just given me these five numbers for the Powerball, and I am going to go play the Powerball, and that's the Holy Spirit guiding me and leading me so that I can become a millionaire and share my millions with others. Because <laughs> there's no basis or anything in this. where God says, you know what, disciples, after I go, um, just try to get rich and famous and play the lottery to win money and gamble. No, it contradicts what he said in here. The Holy Spirit will always confirm and back up. So if Will were to say, you know what, I want to start a ministry um, to um, veterans struggling, um, cycling back in with trauma and helping leading them to the truth of Christ, you know what, I can say, yeah, because there's a lot of outreach to the broken and to the hurting and to the pointing of the truth, and I can find the evidence in here. The Spirit will never contradict his own word. The second thing that the Holy Spirit will do and does do is um, he gives us gifts 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it says to this, to now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common 
good. To one, there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith. To another, gifts of healing. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits, discernment. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. How many of us know that God has gift, gifted us and the Holy Spirit has gifted us with gifts? Not so that the gifts could be all about us. Well, I got the gift of healing or I got the gift of tongues or I got the gift of that. No, he has then given you a gift so that way you can encourage and uplift and build the body of Christ with the gift that he has given you so that Jesus could be revealed and that people could know the truth of Jesus. If you have the gift of healing, you pray for someone and they are healed and so that they can see the power of Jesus and his victory over sin, death, and sickness so that it points to him. The gift is not about you, it's about him. And he's given it to you so that you can encourage the body of Christ. So that when someone's struggling or hurting, you can prophesy over them. And so that way God can then speak and encourage and use it in the lives of others. So God has given us the gifts to be used for the edification of his body. And it's not about you and what gift you have. It's about him and pointing to the truth. Remember, it reveals the truth of Jesus. In Romans 8, it tells us that when we don't know what to pray, when life is so hard and we're so broken and we don't know what is going on, it says that the Holy Spirit actually intercedes for us, that the Holy Spirit offers up prayer for us. When we don't know what to say and we're sitting there, the Holy Spirit is actually active and speaking to God. How many of us, we've ever been in that moment where life is just getting us down, the next thing you know, a song comes on and our spirit just sings a song. Come on, that's the Holy Spirit speaking to your soul. Or you just remember that one verse that you, know, you were taught 20 years ago. Or you open up the scripture and you've read this verse 100 times and all of a sudden it's popping off the page because the spirit is revealing the word to you. Speaking of gifts, in Luke 11, um, Jesus is talking. He says, which of your fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So we have a perfect Father and a heavenly Father that will give us exactly what is needed. So when we ask for bread, it's not giving us a snake and when we ask for an egg, he's not giving us a scorpion. He's giving us exactly what we need because he knows exactly what we need. So sometimes we'll ask the Lord, Holy Spirit, you know this, and he'll say no. Guess what? He's answered, and that's exactly what you need. Or he'll say, you know what? Not yet, not the season, not the time for it. Well, I don't like that. No, that's exactly what you need. Maybe you're trying to decide between you know, new job, this job or that job, which job is right? Guess what? You have a helper. You have an aid. You have the Holy Spirit that will give you peace and will open up the doors and make the right decision known to you. Seek him. Ask him because your father will answer. I had a professor tell me this profound truth is that, you know, the father will always answer. You know, sometimes earthly fathers, you know, you know kids can ask a million questions or they can, you know, and you just want to ignore them and tune them out. God has never tuned you out. The answer may be no, but guess what? He has answered you. The answer may be wait, but he has always given you um, a response. So I just want to show um, a video, and then we will close. Um, it's just a picture. I don't, some of you guys have probably seen it. My youth group kids are probably like, all right, this video again, get over it, Pastor Ryan. Um, I'm sorry to put you through it. 
But it's one of my favorite videos, and it's just the perfect um, picture of what I feel it's like the Father and the Holy Spirit walking alongside of us when we're broken. For those of you that are old enough to remember, um, I was only four when it happened, so I'm not, uh, so just putting that out there. In the 1992 Olympics, there was a British runner uh, who had prepared four years to run named Derek Redman. And he was preparing to run in the Olympics. For four years, he'd spent probably every day on the track, lifting weights, eating a diet, preparing to run. Um, and then not soon, after, not soon after the starting blocks, he comes up with a torn hamstring. Um, but hopefully you'll be touched by this and see the heart in it um, that I see in it. It's a picture of to me what the Holy Spirit does for us. Is that left on our own, we're not going to make it to the finish line. But I have the assurance and the deposit of the Holy Spirit who is my helper and my advocate and that he's with me and leading me to the end. So as the worship team comes, we're going to close in a song and I'm just going to share one more verse. Ephesians 5.18 Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. It's an interesting contrast, right? Do not become drunk on wine or the Spirit of God. What's Paul saying? Paul's saying that when you become drunk on wine, something is now operating your faculties, your mind, your body that you are not in control of. And how many of us run life, and maybe it's not wine, maybe it's relationships, or maybe it's um, some other type of substance, but we run our lives being filled with all other kinds of things. Um, it says, do not be filled on wine because it leads to debauchery. And that our life is spinning out of control, aspiring out of control because something else is operating and has control over our life that is not the Spirit of God. And he's saying, in contrast, do not be filled with anything else. Do not find your satisfaction in anything else. Do not long or wish for anything else, but rather this, be filled with the Spirit of God. That is to have control over your actions, your minds, your thoughts. That is to be the thing that operates and has complete control of your life. So I want to close like this. Um, for those of us, um, the Holy Spirit might be working in different ways. Some of us never have, maybe have seen the truth of the cross of Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit works in us and dwells in us to push us and causes us to place our faith in Jesus. For me, I'll never forget it. I was in the old spectrum as a 17-year-old boy, and I heard the gospel 20,000 people. The guy's speaker said, if you want to accept Jesus and place your faith in Jesus Christ, I want you to stand up and yell, I want the cross right now. <laughs> and the Spirit of God, it was that feeling, and it was like, get up, Ryan, get up. That's what you want. That's what you need. This is why you're here, to place your faith in Jesus. The flesh is going, oh, no, not in front of 20,000 people, not like this. I'll do it nice and quietly. And the Spirit of God, then the next thing you know, I'm standing up yelling, I want the cross. And I left that place never the same, changed. I didn't even know what happened. I didn't really, I grew up in church. I didn't understand born again and all that, but I knew that my life was different because the Spirit of God was living and dwelling in me. And if you've never had that experience and you don't know that, respond to the Holy Spirit today and say yes to Jesus and place your faith in Him and watch the things in your life change. Some of us have had that. Some of us have placed our faith there and we're running empty. We're walking in our own power, on our own strength, trying to figure it out, trying to fill it up and trying to make it happen. And our cups are just empty. 
the beauty of Ephesians 5.18 is do not become drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit. That doesn't mean just a one-time thing. It means an everyday thing. It means it's coming back over and over and again, and I need the Spirit of God daily to lead me and to guide me. So don't be afraid or don't be ashamed, but don't leave here empty today because the Holy Spirit and God wants to fill you with His Spirit. And He wants to do something in each and every one of your hearts. So we're going to sing and we're going to worship. And I want you guys just to respond in a way that the Holy Spirit would lead you and guide you. Maybe you're empty and maybe you need someone else to lay hands on you and to pray that you would be filled. Uh, the disciples, would, or yeah, the disciples, wow. The elders would love to pray with you. The elders would love to pray for God's filling of his spirit upon your lives and they would rather just place their hands and say, God, be filled, fill them with your spirit. Don't be afraid. Maybe he's calling you to kneel at the cross. Maybe he's calling you to stand and worship, but respond to the Holy Spirit today. That's what we need. That's what I need, to be filled with the Spirit, to be the father, the husband, the worker, the pastor. I need the Spirit of God to lead me and direct me into all truth. Um, so after the worship team is done, Jim will give the benediction, but please um, leave today filled with the Spirit.